good morning. Glad uh, you could be with us. And uh, for those of you who are down in F3, glad you're down there. Not that we don't want you up here, but uh, and uh, those who are watching online and who will be later viewing this um, as well. So I have uh, I've appreciated. You know, this it is uh, it is a challenge. I have appreciated uh, so much our worship team and our tech team and our facility team uh and and really i appreciate so much john van drunen our executive pastor there's been a lot of uh challenging things going on here um over the last uh number of weeks we we, we have gathered now for nine weeks and uh, prior to that 10 weeks you know we were online only and so it's uh it's been uh it's been it's been a challenge. We got back together uh, Memorial Day weekend, and over the last nine weeks, uh, John Morrison, Don Den Hartog, and myself, we were doing this uh, series on uh, the church, how to, how to be God's family in a fallen world. And we, we've been doing this because we don't want to lose sight of the fact that in these crazy times um, where we're separated and, and quarantined or or not meeting and different things, um, we are still the body of Christ. And there are biblical principles uh, from God's Word that have to continue to be incorporated into our life, how we care for one another, how we love one another, how we're a, a unified body of believers. And so those are uh, things, being alert, staying alert, knowing the times. All these um, sermons in the last nine weeks that we've been focusing on. And I want to just wrap us up this summer in this series with uh, two more uh, messages uh, that are going to focus on the prayers of the two prayers of the Apostle Paul that he prayed for the church. I thought that'd be a fitting way to conclude. If the Apostle Paul were here this morning, what would he pray over us? And we have those prayers for us in Ephesians chapter 1. So, and, and chapter 3. This morning, Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, and starting in verse uh, 15, Paul writes this, For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you and making mention of you in my prayer. And by the way, go back to verse 15. Two things that Paul, um, when he thought of the Ephesian church, that he was thankful for. Two things that he focused on. I thank you, he said, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. These were, this was a church that walked dependently upon the Lord. Yes, in trying times, I'm sure, under the Roman oppression. But they, they, were, they, were, uh, they manifested a dependence upon God in all of it. And he said, I, I just, I want to acknowledge that. You're living in faith in the Lord and you have a love for one another. And he commends them for that. And those are kind of some of the things we've been talking about this summer. How we need to just keep trusting the Lord in these times and keep maintaining the love for one another as the body of Christ. That's what the world is going to kind of watch and see. How do we treat one another? How, how are we doing as the body of Christ in troubled times? And Paul commends uh, these believers for those two very, very crucial things. But it goes on and continues in his prayer. I don't... Um, I don't cease giving thanks while making mention of you in my prayers that, and verse 17 starts the content, 
that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of the revelation of, in the knowledge of Him. Verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. And verse 19, what is the surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe, which are in accordance with the working of the strength of His might, which, that very strength, His very might that brought about in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him in the right, at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. And every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. And He put all things in subjection under His feet and gave Him His head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. And it's like Paul is saying, if we really are going to display the fullness of Him who fills all in all, then I commend you for your faith. Man, I commend you for your love for one another. But I need to pray for you for, for one specific thing. I need to pray that the eyes of your heart will be opened, enlightened. I need to pray that our Lord, our, our God and the Father of glory will give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation into a knowledge of Him. As we consider this prayer, we need to really understand that what Paul is praying is not that they, the Ephesian church will, will get something that they don't have, but that they'll really understand what they already do have, that they really will come to a, a, an understanding. This is a prayer for knowledge. This is a prayer for knowledge. Now, this is an important concept, uh, knowledge. The Greek word is, uh, this that is used here, the, well, the Greek word for knowledge is gnosis, which is where we get our word knowledge. There's a little preposition in the front of it, epinosis. And the idea of epinosis is that this is a full knowledge. He's praying for a deeper understanding, a fuller, a deeper, more intimate acquaintance. Really, he's praying for an experience of God, experiential knowledge. In fact, um, I didn't do this last night at the, at the, at the um, FSAT service, but um, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter, let me just read this real quickly. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, remember this in verse 12, Paul says, and now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I have been fully known. That little part, then face to face. Now I know in part, and Paul uses the word gnosis. But then I will know fully, and now he uses the word epinosis, a fuller, more intimate knowledge. And that's what Paul is praying here back in Ephesians. He's praying for a, that the body of Christ will have a deeper, more intimate, more personal, more experiential knowledge, a, a fuller, richer, not just facts about God, but that it would become more and more a reality of who God is in our life. Um, how, how many of you have been to the Grand Canyon out in Arizona? Have you been to Grand Canyon? Now, we could take some time, and you could do this at, at, at home. Of course, if you're at home watching this, then chances are all you've been to Grand Canyon together, or you all haven't been to Grand Canyon together. But we could take some time, and everybody raise their hand that have been to Grand Canyon could turn to someone uh, properly social distance 
and uh, explain to them the Grand Canyon. Now, you might do a little research and you might come up with, well, it's, it's uh, this long and this wide and its depth is this and blah, 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 and there's you know, all these different... And you can come up with all the geological uh, explanations and all the biblical explanations and, and take uh, an hour explaining all the facts of the Grand Canyon. And you can walk away, if you've never been there, with a, a lot of facts and understanding about it, a lot of knowledge about it. But until you go there, until you step back and say, oh, oh, that now I know, because now you've experienced it. And we can, we can know God we can know so many stories and one of the things about God and it's very important that we know him but Paul is saying I, I want you to I, I, I pray that God will grant you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation into a epinosis a fuller deeper richer experience of those facts that knowledge of God not just facts about him but to experience the reality of those facts. Let me give you an example. Let's say you're, you're uh, in your personal devotion time and you're, you're reading in the book of Daniel. And you're in chapter 4 of Daniel. That's the story of Nebuchadnezzar. And he was that proudful king full of hubris. And I have done all this. And God says, uh, you, you crossed the line, Nebi. Uh, for the next seven years, you're going to crawl around like an animal in judgment. Um, so you're reading here in Daniel chapter 4, verse 32. God says, you will be driven away from mankind and your dwelling place will be with the beasts of the field. You'll be given grass to eat like cattle and seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and he bestows on it whomever he wishes. And then you keep reading a little bit further and you come to verse 34. But at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, and that's exactly what happened. God judged him for seven years. But at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven. My reason returned to me and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. But he does according to his will in the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? Now, we can read that passage and we can say, yep, there is a picture of the sovereignty of God. You can pull out a a dictionary. You can study more about the sovereignty of God. You can understand the reality that God raises up rulers and he puts them down. He is the absolute sovereign authority over all that he has created, and no one stays his hand. He does exactly as he pleases, always as he pleases, only as he pleases, because he's the sovereign God of the universe. Nebuchadnezzar had to come to that understanding. Oh, so, okay, we understand that. We can say amen. Yeah, right. We can agree with this. And then, if you haven't noticed, we are in a presidential election year. And things get pretty messy in America in a presidential election year. And this year will be no exception, if not worse. And we don't know how things are going to turn out. 
in this presidential election year. And if it doesn't go the way we would want it to go, then what? Paul is saying, I I, I want you to have knowledge of God, like his sovereignty, that he raises up rulers and he puts down rulers, that he is in control. And if things don't go well, like we would want them to go well, possibly, in this election year, do we still have the experience of this understanding of God? And even with joy and excitement to think, what is God up to? See, it's, it's give me, Lord, a, a, a spirit of wisdom and, and revelation into a deep, intimate, experiential knowledge, not just of facts about you, but when the, you know, Christianity in shoe leather, you know, when, when things really hit the road, how then will I respond? We can read words such as this in Romans chapter 8, 28. We'll get to it soon in our study of Romans. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love Him, who are called according to His purpose. We may have that emboldened on a plaque somewhere in our home. We can uh, believe this. We can spot it off. We've memorized it. We can understand. We can exegete it. We can tell you every verb and noun and participle and everything about that verse. But when life really hits us, a worldwide pandemic, coming economic chaos, broken health, loss of a job. What then? We know this to be true, but Paul is saying, I I just, I want this truth about who God is to be so real, so palpable that, that when sorrows like sea billows roll, you really are experiencing the reality of God. Most of you know I grew up in a Christian home, got saved when I was about five years old. I grew up in a home where Bible stories were read to us. In fact, I still have the, the old family Bible story with the, all those wonderful pictures that the, of those classic paintings and different things of Jesus and the, the stories of the Old Testament. I grew up in a very rich um, Christian family tradition with my dad and mom reading those stories and, and telling me and my sister about Jesus. I came to faith early, but what has really helped shape me as a, a follower of Christ and disciple of Jesus are those uh, experiences of, of not just knowing these stories about God, but where he has revealed himself in really special ways throughout my life. I, I have these wonderful visions or remembrances of uh, um, being a high school kid out on the farm on the tractor in the springtime, getting the fields ready all by yourself with your own thoughts and having grown up in a Christian home and, and, and in many ways knowing Jesus and trusting Jesus and loving Jesus to the degree I could, sitting out on that tractor. But I can remember certain instances uh, late as the sun was setting and I was about ready to head back home, an encounter with God where something I was thinking about, some truth, I, I can't even remember exactly what it would be, and all of a sudden sitting on that tractor in the beauty of his creation, the reality of God overwhelmed me.
I can remember being awakened one time as a kid, um, early, early in, the, in the morning, like three in the morning or something, awakened at night, and a, a person's name came and pressed upon me. It was a, a, brother of, uh, it was a brother of our pastor's wife, actually, who didn't know the Lord. And I, I woke up, and that name came to me, and right then and there, remember praying for him I was so, so I just began to pray for this guy went back to sleep Sunday morning I learned that next Sunday morning I learned that that night probably around that time that man came to faith in Jesus Christ now that was just an experience with God now I know God wants us to pray I, I know that God hears our prayers I I know I know that but it was things like that that are formative. It reminded me I am real. Mark, I'm giving you just a little glimpse. I want you to have a, a spirit of wisdom and revelation into a, <clears throat> into a deeper, more intimate awareness of who I am. I want you to experience me. And that's what Paul is praying for here for the Ephesians. I, just, I, I want you to really know God, that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened. We've got physical eyes, praise God for that, but we also have spiritual eyes. Far more important that the spiritual eyes of our heart are opened, are enlightened. And they, we will move away from ignorance of God to a real full experience and knowledge of Him. J.I. Packer, who just recently went home to be with the Lord at 93 years of age, a great theologian, um, one of his books that had such a profound impact is a book written um, years ago and it's called Knowing God. And in the introduction to his book on knowing God, he writes, the conviction behind this book is that ignorance of God, ignorance both of His ways and of the practice of communion with Him lies at the root of much of the church's weakness today. The practice of communion with Him. It's knowing Him as our, as our Savior, as our Lord, as our friend in intimacy. What are we made for? What, what should be our highest aim in life? Let me read a couple of passages here that call us to this. John chapter 17, verse 3, this is eternal life life eternal, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. You want to experience real life? You want to experience that quality of life called eternal life? You want that to be an experience in your life? Well, this is eternal life, that you know Him. In Hosea chapter 6, God says, I desire the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings says God. I desire the knowledge of God. He's not talking about facts about me. He's not saying, you know, what I really want is that if I gave you a test of the 32 characteristics of God that uh, are laid out in the book of Proverbs, uh, that you could get a, a score 100% on. No, he's talking about that intimacy, that experiential uh, communion with Him. That's what I desire, says God. Remember Jeremiah? Chapter 9, verse 23, 24, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, 
Neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. But let him, that glory is glory in this, that he understands and knows me. Understands and knows me. This is what Paul is praying. That you'll get to know me. And then he unpacks that a little further. Verses 18 and 19, he continues in this prayer. And three specific things that he asks for. I pray that, verse 18, the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And verse 19, what is the surpassing greatness of his glory? The hope of his calling, the riches of the glory of his inheritance, the surpassing greatness of his glory or of his power. Unpack this a little bit further. The hope of his calling. I think when he talks about that word calling, he's talking about our eternal salvation. We have been called out of darkness into his kingdom of light. We've been transferred, Colossians 1.13, out of that realm, out of that domain of darkness. We've been called into his relationship with him. And what Paul is saying is, as he looks at the past, he says, I hope that you will really come to understand the hope of his calling. Earlier in chapter 1, like in verse 5, he, he taught, we won't take the time to turn there, but he talked about the fact that we are adopted, Ephesians 1 verse 5. We are adopted into the family of God. Now he's praying that that concept of being adopted will be something that you will really experience. You know, that'll be something more than just a word, a pious platitude. But the thought that Almighty God would take undeserving waifs, orphans like ourselves, and bring us into his family and call us his own children. And what Paul wants is that that isn't just some theological concept, something he scribbled down in a notebook at a class, that you'll enter into the, the wisdom, to the, the experiential understanding of what it means that when we walk out of here today and face who knows what this coming week, it's a fact that I am an adopted child of God. He's picked me to be in his family. In verse 7 of chapter 1, he talks about being redeemed. And now in the prayer, he's praying that we'll come to understand the real depth and, and, and beauty and, and the wisdom and the, the intimacy of what it means that we are redeemed. Not just so that we understand, oh, the word redemption is, uh, is, uh, is a word that means to be set free by the payment of a price, and we fill a notebook, and we can take a test, and we can understand that. It's important that we understand and understand that meaning and have that knowledge, but he's praying that when we walk out of here today, that the concept of being redeemed, that Jesus would leave his throne in glory and he would come down to this earth and pay the price that we were incapable of paying. That he died in my place and set me free so that I could be adopted as a child of God. And so he's praying that that concept will be real, that we'll understand the hope of his calling of us. He says uh, over in verse 13 that um, we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now he's praying that that will be more than just words on a page. That we'll come into an understanding that God loved us enough that he, the moment we trusted Christ as our personal Savior, 
We were forever changed. This body became the temple of the Holy Spirit. He's indwelt me at the moment of faith. More than just words, I pray that you'll have a, a full understanding and knowledge of that. Second of all, he prays that we'll come to understand the riches of the glory of his inheritance. Now, that's something in the future. Hope of our calling, a past. The riches of the glory of his inheritance, and we don't have the time today to develop this rich theological understanding of inheritance. We inherit God and all his blessings for us, but through faithful living and even suffering, we can even inherit more. That's for another sermon. But here he's talking about, I think, the, the glory of the inheritance of heaven, of glory. And Paul is saying, I pray that that, according to Peter, which is reserved in heaven for you, this inheritance is something that you'll come to really dwell on and, and, and begin to experience the richness and fullness of the possibilities of heaven. Over the last week, we lost two sisters in Christ here at this church, Judy, Julian, and Wanda Page, and we, we, um, we grieve and we hurt for those families, but my goodness, you know what um, uh, kind of puts a balm on the soul? is to understand just a little bit, my goodness, what they are experiencing. The richness of the glory of the inheritance. Paul is asking that God would give us a glimpse of heaven. And so that as we go about our activities during the week, it's coming back to us. It's, 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 just, it's just not a sermon that you hear. It's just not in a book you read, but it's a it's an encounter with the living God who's reserved this for us in heaven. Back in chapter 1, verse 14, he said he's given the Holy Spirit as a pledge, as a down payment for what is yet to come. Now think of that. The Holy Spirit is simply a down payment. And that means we have to understand something about the Holy Spirit and understand what that all means and what, he's been gift, what we've been gifted with with the Holy Spirit. But if we enter into a little bit of the understanding that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, that the moment we trust Christ as our Savior, He gives us His life through His Spirit within us, and it, and it changes everything. But that's just the down payment of the riches of the glory that is yet to come. And what Paul is praying is that this will become more than just words, that it becomes an experience, intimate, a knowledge and understanding of these things. And then thirdly, Paul says that we will come to know the surpassing greatness of his power. That's the present. Hope of his calling, what already has happened. That's the past. The glory, the riches of his glory, that's what's coming in the future. But right now, oh, that we would understand the, the greatness of his power towards us who believe. Not only do we have this tremendous calling, this rich inheritance, but we have incredible power available to us, and it's His power, and that's what knowing God is all about. God's power, supernatural ability to live the Christian life now, today, in the midst of all the craziness that we're facing. And it probably will get worse before we'll ever see it better, if we will ever see it better again. That's a warm, fuzzy thought, isn't it? But... Uh, I mean, hey, 
In this world, we'll have tribulation. Be of good cheer, Jesus, that I've overcome the world. Perilous times are coming in the latter days. Things are going to go from bad to worse. Let's just accept that. But we have his enabling power to maneuver through any difficulty, any trial, any situation that we may face. And Paul is simply praying, oh, I pray that you will come to experience that, understand it, not just so you can pass a quiz at a Bible college about the knowledge of God that become real to us. You can have a, buy a wonderful brand new sports car and it can be in your garage and you can shine that thing, you can love that thing, you can brag about it and you can know every inch of it, how it works, all the details of that carburetor and how those pistons are working and how that crankshaft is working, all these different things. But until you put that key in that thing and turn it on and take it down the road, until you experience it, you haven't really lived with it. And this is what Paul is praying. We, we're born again, blood-bought, children of God. We're headed to heaven. But sometimes our understanding of God is just about an inch, if that, thick. And he's saying, I want you to get in that thing, turn the key on, and experience the power of God. His enabling strength, the transforming of power of God. It's that power that takes a cruel, hard-hearted man and transform him into a gentle, loving daddy. It's that power that takes a person in despair without any hope, and he fills them with joy and confident trust, changes their whole outlook in life. It's that power that transforms a drug addict into a missionary ambassador for Christ, serving the Lord. It's that power that sets a person free from the addiction of, of pornography. It's the power that turns a selfish spouse into someone who is selfless and always thinks of the other person instead. Transformative power and a knowledge of God. Now, why are these truths so important? Why is it that Paul prays that we will come to this true, full, intimate, deeper knowledge of God in our Christian experience? the reality of God in our life? Because that's what He's created us for. This is His gift to us, to know God, to experience Him, to return to the Garden of Eden experience where we can walk and talk with Him in the cool of the day as our Savior, as our God, as our personal, as a friend in intimate communion with Him, to encounter the living God and to experience through that intimacy the transformation of our lives, to enter into a different realm than just facts about God, but truly knowing Him. And everything that we've been talking about this summer, being the family of God in a fallen world, comes down to this. How well do you experience God? Do you know Him? And so that's why Paul prayed this prayer. And let me ask you this morning, if you prayed that prayer, and if God were to answer that prayer for you, if God were to reveal himself to you in some more fuller way, how would you be different? If you, were been, if you were to be given a spirit of wisdom and revelation into intimate knowledge of Him, what would change this week? 
if we really understood the hope of our calling, if we really came to understand the riches of the glory of His inheritance, if we really begin to understand the greatness, the surpassing greatness of His power towards us, the very power that raised Christ from the dead, given to us on a day-to-day basis to live for Him, if we really begin to understand this, what would change? Millennia ago, the great leader of Israel, Moses, encountered God. It's recorded in Exodus 33, verse 12. He said, Now therefore I pray you, if you have found favor, if I have found favor in your sight, let me know your ways that I may know you, so that I may find favor in your sight. And then a couple verses later he said, Lord, show me your glory. Let me know your ways that I may know you so that I can find favor in your sight. Lord, show me your glory. I want us to bow our heads this morning as we close. And I want us to give us a quiet moment that you can pray that prayer. Talk to the Father. And simply in your heart of hearts say, Lord, let me know you. Show me your glory. Let me know you, God. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord, that I can see you, that I can experience you. I want to know you better. Would you just take a moment and quietly pray that? Father, we are, we are learning so many things today about, about viruses, about <laughs> all sorts of things. But Father, I pray that as we've seen this prayer of the Apostle Paul, which is as effective and as practical for us today as it was 2,000 years ago we would pray Lord that you and your grace and mercy would open the eyes of our heart enlighten us give us a spirit of wisdom and of revelation into a, a full rich deeper understanding of who you are that the things of this world all of a sudden become, become strangely dim and the light of, of your glory, of who you are, Lord, show us your ways that we can know you. Show us your glory. Now I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.